I know a God that's able. He never let me down. Never failed me. Amen. So please keep me in your prayers. Uh, I'm going to talk tonight about, I know I started this thing last, a couple of weeks ago about ladies, women in the Bible, and then we, last week we kind of used two different women and compared them, and I think I'm going to kind of stay with that theme, uh, tell of two women that we used a few weeks ago. Um, I want to talk to you about two women who are nameless, but were very real people in the Bible. But before I do, let me introduce with a little story. There was a humble country man who the lot beside him, the property beside his home, was bought by a wealthy man. And the wealthy man came in, and a lavish home was built there over several months. And they watched that, that, that common poor fellow, that farmer, whatever he was, didn't have a lot of resources. He, he watched all that go on. It was a lavish, beautiful home. And finally the day came when that wealthy family would move in and the, that country fellow watched as a truckload after truckload after truckload arrived with the most exquisite furniture and appliances and technology and decorations and everything that you could imagine. And finally he worked up the nerves seeing that the owner was there to go over and make himself friendly to be a good neighbor so he he went over and he welcomed the new family to the neighborhood and when he did he was invited in for a tour of the home and what a jaw-dropping experience that was when the tour was over the country fella just fumbled to find something to say and finally he managed the most neighborly thing he could come up with he said, well, if you all find yourselves in need of anything, don't hesitate to come and talk to me because I can show you how to live without it. <laughs> Our lesson tonight is about two women on two different extremes. One is wealthy and one is poor. Neither of them are named in Scripture, but they both appear in the same chapter, 2 Kings chapter 4. And their stories are different, but we learn from both of their lives that a relationship with God is much more important than all the riches in the world. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to read 17 verses, kind of set the groundwork, tell the stories of these two women, and then we'll, we'll talk about it together. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now there cried a certain woman, that's the first woman, of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house except for a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, and borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is 
So she went out from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay the debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Then the story changes to another woman. It says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread, and so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him, and he, and he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered and said, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door, and he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. Two women, two different ends of the, of the financial spectrum, two very different needs, but both of them discovered the power of, of, of faith in God. Amen? The first woman in Second Kings chapter 4 did not just lack earthly goods. She was in debt. Her husband had passed away, leaving her with unpaid debts and no income, no way to pay them. And, and while a, a husband and a father should, should take more care to provide for his family, even in his death, uh, sometimes life hands down an overwhelming situation, and, and there they are without any provision. And this woman, her creditors come to her and tell her, if you can't pay the bill by such and such time, we're going to, as the law allows, we're going to take your children, your two sons, and we're going to sell them into slavery to pay off your father, their father's debt. So she had no money. She had no way to fix it. She had no answer to the crisis, but she had something more valuable than money. She had faith in God, and she turned to a greater power than wealth. And although she did not know how her need would be met, she knew that she needed to take her trouble to the Lord. 
The other woman in 2 Kings chapter 4 came from a different stratum of life. Her husband was a good provider. She dwelt safely, and she had all of her needs met. And instead of looking for more in this life, she invested herself in things beyond this life, using her financial means and the willingness of her hardworking husband. She prioritized the things of God, put them before her own things. Some people can have prosperity and not let it distract them from serving the Lord. She was one of those people. She served God even in the state of being wealthy, if you will. Now, the person that brings these two women together, the one named individual in this story, is Elisha. And Elisha is, is the key person in many of the stories in Second Kings. He carries the anointing of Elijah, and he's doing the work of the ministry that's been laid upon him. And Elisha, what he does through the context of, of Second Kings is he brings people, he links people to the power of God. Amen? And so that poor woman in Israel knew Elisha because her late husband had been a preacher, so to speak. He had been uh, one of the prophets, and he had been a student of Elisha. And perhaps Elisha knew not only that prophet, but maybe he even knew the wife and the children that were at risk. And as a mentor or a leader to that woman's husband, he, he probably felt some sense of responsibility for the family, wanting to help. But traveling as he did, he, he most likely didn't have the resources to pay her bills for himself out of his own resources. But that didn't keep him from taking care of a widow. Because the Bible still says true religion cares for the fatherless and the widows. Amen. So when she approached the man of God, she referred to her, her husband as a servant of Elisha. Now that's important because Elisha got to where he is by being a servant to Elijah. It was Elisha that poured water on the hands of the man of God, and he served the man of God. And so she comes to Elisha, and she reminds him that her husband was loyal to the Lord, that he honored God, and that he honored the man of God in his life. Likely, his death was something they weren't prepared for. It was untimely. The man surely would have wanted to leave his wife in better condition than what he left her in. But the crisis of the moment was that the woman was about to lose her two sons to the creditors, and it would destroy her. It would destroy her to lose her husband, and to just such a, such a short time later lose her two boys. Clearly, the man of God didn't have the financial means to fix her problem. Matter of fact, when she came to him in Second Kings chapter 4, verse 2, he said to her, What shall I do for you? What am, what am I going to do? You know, I, I don't have the bank account. But then just as immediately after he says that, he, in, he injects hope into the conversation. And he says, tell me, what do you have in your house? There's a lot of preaching to be done right there. We're often looking for God to work a miracle. And God's saying, what do you got that you can bring to me? What do you got that you can, what, what have you got that you can bring into this situation? What is in your house? And she said, well, I, I don't have anything in the house. Well, well, you know, come to think of it, I do have a, a pot of oil. That's all I've got. 
nothing of value, just a pot of oil, and probably it's the oil that I need to, to cook with. It's there for a reason. It's functional, but, but it is there. Just a little pot of oil. Aren't you glad to know that God works with a little? Amen. Aren't you glad to know it doesn't take a whole lot to turn loose the miracle power of God? It just The Bible tells us the story of a little boy and his lunch who fed a multitude of thousands because God don't need a whole lot. He just needs what you got. Amen? That's what the old song said. They don't take a whole lot. Just use what you got. But you got to bring to God what you have. Amen? You gotta, you've got to be willing to honor God. You've got to be willing to put God first. It, it's one thing to say, I don't have anything, and, and I can't fend for myself, and I can't take care of myself, and, and I want somebody to help me. But it's another thing to say, I'm going to take out of the little I have, and I'm going to bless God. And then see what God does. Amen. So Elijah told her, go gather as many empty vessels from your neighbors as you can. And he said these words, don't borrow just a few. Don't don't go and get just a few and stop. You see, faith doesn't limit God's ability to work. It gives him ample room to work. And Elisha said, you go get all the pots you can find. And when you think you've got them all, go get some more. And when you're running out of room, figure out a way to stack them up. Amen. Because the more emptiness you bring in, the more God's going to fill. Amen. The more vessels you bring in, the more God's going to move. Sometimes we wonder why there's not a Holy Ghost outpouring when we come to church. Why, why people aren't being filled with the Holy Ghost. Because the more empty vessels you come in, the more he'll fill. The more empty vessels you bring into the house, he said, don't get just a few. You bring as many as you can. You bring them wherever you can find them. You get them. You have to stack them on top of each other. You stack them on top of each other. It's my job. It's God's job to make the oil flow, but it's my job to bring the empty vessels. Amen? If we don't bring empty vessels, then the oil's not going to flow. It's going to flow in my life. It's going to flow in your life. We're going to... We're going to feel good, and we're going to go home, and we're going to be happy and satisfied, and we're not comp- accomplishing our mission. We talked about this Sunday. What are we here for? What are we here for? We're here because of a lost world. We're here because of people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're here because there are empty vessels that need to be filled. So once she had filled the house, with empty vessels. Once she had gathered all she could gather and stacked them everywhere she could stack them and fill the rooms. And when it was all done, she closed the door. And Elisha said, watch what God's going to do. Now, the, the rich woman, her situation's different. She doesn't come to Elisha with a need that she needs met. She just notices that the man of God frequently passes by her house. And one day as he was traveling by, she said, You know what? I think I'm going to invite the man of God into my house to eat. I'm going to come fix him a meal, and I'm going to take care of him. And so she did. She invited him in to eat with her and her husband. And apparently after they had eaten, they invited Elisha to stop at their home for a meal Anytime he was coming through, my door is always open. And after that first meal, Elisha stopped to eat with them frequently. And eventually the thought came to the woman that it would be nice if when Elisha came through that he had a place to rest. 
And so she got her husband, who probably groaned and grumbled. I had to throw that in there for my own safety. And she told her husband, why don't we build an extra room on the house? Woman, you know how much that costs? Why don't we, why don't we, let's equip and furnish that room for the man of God. Let's make some space. Let's make, let's take, God's taking care of us. We, we've been blessed. We, we don't have a, a whole, whole bunch, but we got enough to get by on. Let's take a little bit of what we got and let's give it to God. Let's bless the man of God. Let's bless the work of God. Let's bless what God is doing. And so she made a room in her home, furnished it with a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And Elisha began to use the the room. In a time whenever the nation of Israel was turning away from the worship of the one true God and going after false gods, in a time where people were relinquishing their faith, in in a time where the, the culture was shifting away from godliness and righteousness, this family, invested themselves in the one true God of Israel and his servant. They respected God and they respected the man of God. And Elisha made good use of that. He used the room and he came frequently. It became his stopping point. He planned his journey so that he could spend the night there in that home that was hospitable. He always knew there was going to be a hot meal. There was going to be a soft bed. There was going to be a place of isolation where he could shut himself away. And then one day, the Bible tells us, he was lying upon that bed and, and musing about this woman who had prepared all of this for him. And so he, a- he had the servant, wants you to go ask her, what can we do for you? Her response is peculiar to us. It says, I dwell in safety with my own people. But what she's saying is, there's really nothing you can do for me. Everything I need is taken care of. Everything I've been provided for. I have everything I want. I don't need the king's help. I don't need the captain of the host. I don't need anybody else's wealth or resources. I'm satisfied. I'm content. I'm good. Uh, Everything's taken care of. There's nothing you can do for me. What a contrast to the other woman. She's poor. She's destitute. She's in desperate need of help. This woman is wealthy, well off, and, and she's not in desperate need of help. Yet even in her home, there was a place where God could work a miracle. Only one treasure besides God is necessary for a miracle. It's not wealth. It's not finances. It's faith. What these two women had in common was faith. God doesn't do miracles just for those that have money. Can I hear my man? You can't buy the blessings of God. You can't buy the favor of God. He works miracles for those who don't have any when they put him first. Amen? So that little widow who didn't have much of value was able to take the little that she did have. This is the principle. She didn't have a lot to offer, but she was able to take from the little she had and offer it to God. And God was able to use the little just as much as if she had had a lot. It didn't matter to God how much. It mattered to God that she put him in his proper place. 
and following the prophet's instructions, she she got all those vessels together, and then she and her son shut the door, and they went to work. She began to pour the oil from the vessel into the empty vessels, and God multiplied the oil as she was pouring it out. Once it started pouring, it, it wouldn't stop. The flow of the oil wouldn't stop. The Hebrew grammar of that passage indicates that it was like a constant fountain of oil flowing from that little container, like the water that comes out of a spring. You you can't put a cork in it. You can't stop it. Amen. It's just there, and it's flowing, and it's continual, and it's constant. And once she tipped that oil vessel, and she began to pour that oil into those empty pitchers, amen, it, it just kept flowing. And, and when the pitcher was full, it, it's, it's spilling over into the floor, and the boys are grabbing another vessel, and, and they're trying to catch the flowing oil. And, and soon after that, the next vessel vessels brimming over with this miraculous oil and they're shoving another one and oil's getting everywhere because the oil doesn't stop flowing. They keep putting vessel after vessel after vessel until there are no vessels left. And then and only then does the oil stop flowing. What a miracle. Amen. The, the, The wonderful thing about that miracle is the limits on what God was going to do was determined by the person receiving the miracle. Man, as long as there were empty vessels, it was going to flow. You, 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 you have something to contribute. It may be just a little bit, but you have something to contribute. And when you do your part, God will always do his part. Can I get an amen? So she runs to the man of God. She told him how that God had abundantly supplied for her, and then he instructed her, go and sell that oil. Amen? I don't know what kind of, there are different grades of oil. I don't know what kind of oil that woman bought. She probably bought the cheapest oil she can get at market. But I can tell you what kind of God I serve. Amen? Those vessels were full of grade A, cold-pressed, extra virgin olive oil. Amen? Top dollar. Amen? He said, go and sell it all, and when you're going to get enough to pay off your husband's debts, and you're going to live on that. It's going to provide for you. Amen. I just can't help but believe that God wants to pour blessings into lives today. And His blessings will come in accordance with our faith. His provision will always exceed our needs if we'll put Him first. Amen. Boy, I didn't plan to get into, into this as deep as I'm getting into it, but you honor God in your finances, you'll never be disappointed. You can do more with 90% than you could ever do with 100%. You don't, you, if you haven't tried it, you don't understand it because it doesn't work on paper. But the Lord didn't say reason it out. The Lord said try me and see. Test me. Just go ahead and put me to the test. And he said, see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. Just try me. Amen. The rich woman, she wasn't in need, or so it seems. She didn't have any great crisis. She had all she could want. She had a good husband, a strong man who provided for her a nice home, lived in a safe place. She had a peaceful life. But the prophet probed until he found that even that well-to-do woman had a need. She had no son. And her husband was old. 
and the prophet spoke hope into her life. He said, you'll have a son about this time next year. She was shocked. She didn't even believe him. No, don't, don't lie to me, man of God. But just as surely as the man of God said it, it came to pass. And she conceived and bore a son just as he promised her. Because listen, God doesn't need money. He doesn't need much to bless you. You don't buy his blessings. But when God starts blessing, he goes beyond your needs. Amen. He'll minister to your wants. David said, my cup is flowing over. Full would have been enough. But enough never satisfies God. I'm just going to keep pouring until it's flowing over. That's what happens for the rich lady. Amen. She receives a child that she didn't even ask for. Amen. God likes giving us what we want as on top of what we need. It's his good pleasure. The scripture tells the story of how an earthly father gives good gifts to his children. They come and ask you for bread. You don't give them a rock. That's what the Word says. How much more is your heavenly Father willing to give good gifts to those who are willing to ask, those that belong to Him? Amen? Many years ago, missionaries were deported from China during the Boxer Rebellion. And those Christian missionaries that were being taken out of the country, soldiers came to them and told them they, they some of them had lived there their whole lives. They could only take 200 pounds with them on their way out of the country. So parents and children begin to discuss what what will we take? What there are a lot of valuable things that are going to be half left behind because they're too heavy to carry. That was with a lot of uh, discussion and a lot of of compromise and a little give and a little take that the families agreed upon the essential items that would make up that 200 pounds and that they, they could comply with the government. And when the day came to leave, they brought their possessions and the military man looked at them and he asked them, before we weigh all that stuff, we got to weigh the kids first. And all of a sudden, all the possessions didn't matter anymore. Because if 200 pounds is all I can take, I'm going to figure out a way to get my two boys under 200 pounds. Because family matters. Amen? When you choose in between stuff and family, when you choose in between things and people you love, the boundaries are tipped drastically in that direction. Amen? So while it's, it's beneficial for us this morning to, or this evening to look at how your life parallels the, that of the two women and we can all find ourselves in those both ends of that story. We've both been destitute. We've all been destitute. And we've all seen God give us things that we just wanted. He didn't have to make bicycles with red, blue. He, he didn't have... He didn't have to do it the way he did it. It was just a want, but he provided more than my need. But as we consider these two women, I also want you to consider the role of Elisha because Elisha both received care from both women, the well-to-do woman when he was in need, 
and then he administered care to the widow when she was in need. So there's a relationship between them that that they're they're in between the three of them they're ministering to one another. And Paul said in Philippians chapter four and verse twelve, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Every one of us is going to be at different places on that spectrum at different times in our life. And Paul's point is not that you're going to see days of hunger and days of plenty. His point is in whatsoever state you find yourself in, therein to be content. Therein to be satisfied in the Lord. Therein to recognize that he's got his hand on me. God's got this. Amen. None of us wants to suffer, but every one of us needs to learn that lesson from the apostle. Be content in whatever state we find ourselves in. Elisha was a positive influence. He was a transformational influence on others that he encountered. All of, all of us are, are called by God to be that same kind of an influence in our world. I want you to see the pivotal character in this story is Elisha. And it's Elisha that connects the poor woman with God. And it's Elisha that connects the wealthy woman with God. It's Elisha that becomes a conduit through which the need is met. And it's Elisha that becomes a conduit through which the want is realized. I'll tell you something. The world needs a whole lot more Elishas. Amen. The people of God are called to be those kind of people. To those who stumble, we should reach out to them with love in our hearts and help them find a way to restoration. To those who are grieving, we should be the shoulder upon which they can cry. To those who are facing challenges, we should be all the prayer support that they need. Somebody they can talk to and not have to worry about the gossip mill getting started. Can I get an amen? To those who are sick, we should be the ones who anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith with them tear off the roof and bring them into the presence of God because we're members of the same body we minister one to another both physically and spiritually the book of Acts church manifests the spirit the power of God the Holy Ghost they were filled with not just in their speaking in tongues but also in their giving one to another they put each other first they they shared and they cared and that kind of sharing and caring should characterize a life of faith while looking at the people and events surrounding these two stories it's also important to notice the larger picture the widow's miracle came because she was connected with someone who walked with god the well-to-do woman's miracle happened because she was connected with someone who had a walk with God. And the prophet's needs were met because he was connected with someone who loved God and put God first. All three of those things revolve around relationship. Relationships. Listen, you may not have much in the bank, but if you've got relationships, you've got more wealth than the bank could ever hold. Amen. If you've got a relationship with good, godly people, 
Amen. People who encourage you to continue to do right and serve God. Men of God and women of God who, who can come alongside of you and lift you. They can't always open up their, their, their checkbook and write you a million-dollar check, but they can come along and say, you can trust God. God's going to take care of this and encourage you in the Lord. If you, if you can have those kind of relationships, amen, then it's worth more than all the money in the world. Amen. So you need, you need several different relationships. You need a relationship with God. Sometimes you're going to need to be the person who walks with God that others lean on. Amen? You're going to need to be that when your world's hurting. They need somebody that they can turn to that has a real walk with God. That's you. That's me. That's us. Secondly, we've got to develop meaningful relationships with those people who can influence us for good. Amen? Take the time to develop that relationship with Elisha because eventually by allowing Elisha into my home and into my life, eventually that's where the blessing of God comes from. And then third, we must develop relationships with those that we can influence. Those that we can make a difference. We can be the man or the woman of God in their life. We can be the one that has a relationship with God and we can bless them. The scripture, or the old, the old saying is that there can be no re- relationship without revelation you say someone has a relationship with someone it has to be that they they know them they they know things about them that other people may not know you know fans don't have a relationship with a celebrity what they know about them is public knowledge amen but a wife has a relationship with a husband that others don't have can't have there's a depth of that relationship that that is different. If you're going to have a relationship, it takes a revelation of, of who God is, amen, of knowing him and walking with him and seeking him out and putting him first in your life. And a deep relationship with God comes as he reveals himself through prayer and the, re- and the reading of the word of God as he opens our eyes and as he reveals himself to us. That's the kind of relationship through which that fountain of blessing flows that impacts our world. Often, God gives to others through those who are rich in relationship with him. You become, I become, we become the conduit through which the blessings of God flow. I want to be that, amen? I want to be that. So if I can bring it to close, the point this evening is that a relationship with God is the most valuable treasure you have in your life. Luke said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, actually Jesus said, He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things, sometimes we get our perspective all wrong. And we think life is about things. Life isn't about things. Life's about relationship. It's about relationship with God. It's about relationship with people of God. And it's about a relationship with the lost world. Amen. Leo told story, and I, I'm ending with this, told the story of a man who hurriedly agreed to a deal to pay one single price for as much land 
as he could cover in one day. The man agreed to the landowner's deal and took off in quick strides. And soon he realized, Sister Heiser, that if he ran, he could get more land than if he just walked. Then after a little while, he decided if he would run a little faster, he could get even more land. And by midday, he realized that he had covered many miles, which would have to be encircled to get back to where he started before nightfall because he could only have as much land as he could cover in a day. Greed drove him to square off as many acres as his aching legs would carry him. And as the sun approached the horizon, he still had a long way to go. But giving it everything he had, he ran desperately. He never stopped all day long for food or drink. And just as the last rays of sunlight were fading from view, he stumbled back to the place where he started, where the cellar was waiting. And he sprawled on the ground and so the seller measured him six foot long two feet wide that's all the ground he could cover and that's what they buried him in Jesus warns us as followers of God not to become captivated by things not to become captivated by the things of this world and the things of life not to worry as a matter of fact he said not to, not even to care about those things. If you put the kingdom of God first, the one who clothes the lily of the valley, he's going to take care of you too. The one who provides for the sparrow who's eating the french fry in the middle of the road while all the cars are whizzing by, that one who watches over him, he's going to watch over you too. He'll take care of you. Life is about more than just treasures and riches and wealth there's a blessing of God that can be tapped into whether you're rich or whether you're poor it's not about how much you have it's about how much you're willing to give amen a man by the name of Richard Foster and no it was not Richie was quoted as saying this giving with a glad and generous heart has a way of rooting out the tough old miser within us. Because even the poor need to know that they can give. And the very act of letting go of money or some treasure does something within us that nothing else can do. It destroys the demon of greed. Greed will put you in the ground. Just ask the guy who tried to purchase as much land as he could cover in a day. But if you'll turn your heart away from greed, and uh, listen, it's not about how big your tithes check is. It's about whether or not you honor God. Not about how much money you make. It's about whether or not you give him his part. It's not about how big your bills are. It's not about how impossible the situation is. It's about whether or not you honor God. Because I'm going to promise you something. God wants to honor you. He wants to bless you. He wants to open up the windows of heaven. He's just looking for you to put him right, put him first. Amen? Would you stand with me?